0: Thank you very much. Well, seeing those statistics, uh, it can only go down, uh, but I'll try to do my best and and stay at this level. So we've seen before that actually we started with hard science, statistics, and evidence-based medicine, but we've seen that art comes into play. And I'd like to start, uh, these are my disclosures, but I'd like to start with this uh, famous drawing of René Magritte, the tree tree of images, because it draws uh, attention to a pipe, and underneath it says, this is not a pipe. Of course not. It's the image of a pipe. And I would like to take you to a trip of what medical images, PET images in particular, uh, are derived from and what kind of data we can extract from them. Um, So positron emission tomography, PET, uses positron emitters, which are radioactive atoms that upon decay will emit a positron. This positron will... um, get rid of some kinetic energy and then at the end it will annihilate with uh, its counterpart an electron and send out two high energy photons of 511 keV and if we now put a ring of crystals that are sensitive to these photons uh, and we put one ring around the source of these positron emitters when two crystals get hit at almost the same time we know that one annihilation event has taken place on this so-called line of response. Now, if we collect many thousands, hundred thousands of these lines, we can uh, identify the source of the radiation. And so it's very important to realize that a pet image image that is shown over here is nothing less and nothing more than a three-dimensional map of the concentration of radioactivity in space. And so it's just numbers that tell us at a certain place in uh, space, coordinates, we have so much radioactivity present. Now, of course, in 2018, PET scanners alone don't exist anymore. We combine them with CTs, we combine them with MRs that give us morphological information. The pharmaceutical that I'm going to talk about is only FDG. There is a wealth of other radiopharmaceuticals, but for response imaging, FDG is still our prime molecule, and it consists of a glucose moiety to which we attach a radionuclide, which is fluorine 18, that is responsible for the signal that we pick up with our scanners. But basically, we are using radioactive sugar. Now, you all know that normal, cancers, uh, normal cells... Uh, are quite parsimonious with uh, sugar, and they extract a lot of energy uh, from one glucose molecule. But cancer cells have an increased glycolysis marked by overexpression of glute uh, transporters and by hexokinase activity, and so they have extract much less ATP from each uh, glucose unit, so they consume much more glucose, and uh, this will result in accumulation of radioactive glucose, FDG, in cancer cells at much higher concentrations than at normal cells, hence the detection of cancer cells, living cancer cells, with positron emission tomography. Now, the advantages of FDG PET-CT are quite numerous. We can discriminate between benign and malignant tissue based on these metabolic and morphological features. We can do whole-body imaging, which provides you T, N, and M staging. We can detect metastases in normal-sized lymph node, which is very important um, compared to CT and MR. We can detect metastases in unaltered bone, which are actually bone marrow metastases, and that might not have an impact on the, osseous cont- on the mineral content uh, in the bone. We can characterize equivocal lesions seen on conventional images, such as uh, lesions in, in the adrenal glands, for instance, that can be adenomas. And we can characterize residual masses uh, after treatment. And uh, we'll come back to this later on. We can quantify the total tumor burden uh, within a patient, and we can easily and accurately detect therapy responses. And FDG also can serve as a prognostic marker as its uptake correlates with biological aggressiveness. These are already quite old data that show you uh, a, a gastroesophageal junction tumor um, in which which is treated with uh, chemotherapy. And you see that uh, on the under uh, lower row that the metabolic activity over time after two weeks and after 14 weeks is uh, decreasing. And uh, you see that the change on CT is not as apparent uh, specifically at the 14-day time point, two-week time point. And if you quantify this, you see that the metabolism goes down first in this treatment regimen, and the size, the change in CT follows after a certain time point. So PET is earlier in detecting a change that is induced by the therapy uh, in this treatment. Now, of course, there are disadvantages to the use of FDG PET. We have a limited anatomical resolution, around 6, but on modern cameras, 4 millimeters. We can have physiological uptake in normal tissues, such as brown fat or the gut, for instance, uh, caused by metformin in diabetic patients. We have excretion uh, through the kidney and to the bladder, and we can have false negative results in tumors that have low FDG avidity, for instance, well-differentiated HTC or neuroendocrine tumors, or patients that have a low tumor burden, for instance, adenocarcinoma of the esophagus that you discover during uh, Barrett surveillance. And of course, we are there complemented by the CTR and the MR component of the hybrid imaging. Now, many of the data that you will see in clinical trials will look at SUV, which is a quantitative metric of FDG avidity, of how much FDG is actually going into a tumor, and now SUV, we can compute it, but I'd like you to understand intuitively what it means. If this is a patient and I inject a certain amount of radioactivity, if we now assume a virtual distribution in which the tracer is homogeneously distributed in the entire body, There's no excretion. Then we have this kind of concentration. Of course, in reality, what we have is we have a higher accumulation in the tumor, and we have less accumulation uh, in the rest of the body. Now, what is the SUV? The SUV is actually the ratio between the concentration you see in the tumor and this virtual homogeneous distribution that I previously mentioned. So it's a a ratio of concentrations, and it tells you how much the tracer accumulates preferentially in the tumor compared to a homogeneous distribution. These are the formulas, uh, and it's important to realize that um, this is independent of, of tracer. It's, it's the same for FDG, for dotatate, for choline, uh, for f that doesn't depend. So it's a semi-quantitative parameter. It's not telling you how much grams of glucose we are burning per time unit. Uh, if we want to do that, we can, but we need to do image for a very long time. And so SUV is a simplification. It allows it to go faster, and more importantly, in a whole-body setting, we can detect the entire body. And it uh, does not require blood samples, but there are some caveats that can be present. Now, if we want to, now for a tumor, have the average value of SUV, we can uh, delineate the tumor and derive a mean value. Of course, the mean value will uh, depend on the size of your uh, delineation. If you're more or less stringent, your value can change. To a certain extent, and that's why in many trials we prefer the SUV max, that's the maximum value of a voxel within your delineation, and of course that is independent on the way on how you delineate um, this, um, this tumor, but th- this is 100% reproducible, but it has some noise as a disadvantage. And to overcome this, another concept has been introduced, the SUV peak, and in the SUV peak, you take the highest average value in a one cubic centimeter sphere that you place inside of the tumor. So you, you have more voxels, so you're less sensitive uh, to noise. And this is an example of a real tumor where you see the maximum voxel which is shown on the right in the square. And you see that the SUV peak is uh, on the left in the, in the sphere and that it's not necessarily includes the uh, hottest voxel within your tumor. Now, why do I introduce these concepts to you? That is because in pet response monitoring, we have a set of prospectively defined criteria to interpret your pet images. Uh, There are two of these criteria, the ERTC criteria and the persist criteria. The ERTC criteria are almost 20 years old. They are mainly based on the reproducibility of the data of a pet scanner. If I take the same patient and I scan him twice, on two consecutive days, what will be the difference between the metrics that I get. And uh, of course, complete metabolic response is quite easily defined. It's complete disappearance of all metabolically active tumor. A partial metabolic response is defined as minus 15% SUV decline after one cycle or uh, if the patient receives two or more cycles of therapy more than 25% decline, and there is no requirement in reduction of the size of the lesion. Progressive metabolic disease is uh, defined as either increase in the SUV of more than 25% or an increase in the extent of the uptake by more than 20% or new uh, FDG positive metastases that appear, and stable disease is if you don't qualify for uh, one of these three uh, categories. Um, The limitations is that there's no specifications on how you need to uh, make your ROI's or your volumes of interest, how do you deal with multiple lesions, and how do you derive multiple lesions to one single response in your patient, how do you define target lesions, all of this is not there. But it has to be said that if you don't have these changes of at least 15 or 25%, there's a good chance that your therapy is not really affecting the, the tumor. 2009, a new series of criteria have been uh, published. These are called the persist criteria, and you see the analogy with resist, but positron emission tomography is there. It's based on a vast literature search, and it has uh, set a standard for standardization, definition of the target lesion. Uh, We take into account the lean body mass effect, and then we call the SUV, SUL. And it's something which is in continuous progress, and revisions are upcoming. Now, what does Persist prescribe? Well, complete metabolic response is, again, complete disappearance, and there are no new hotspots that are typical for cancer, and we make the discrimination with inflammatory changes or infectious changes, for instance. Partial metabolic response is a decrease in your target lesion, and I will come back to this, of at least 30% of the sole peak. And also, new in Persist, you need to at least 0.8 units decrease in, uh, to have a partial metabolic response. So to avoid very small changes if you have a low uptake in the beginning. Progressive disease is an increase by 30% of the cell peak and at least 0.8 cell units, or an increase in the volume of 75%, or new lesions that are typical for cancer. And again, stable metabolic disease is none of the three other uh, categories. The measurable lesions in uh, persist We have a requirement of FDG uptake. The lesions need to have for minimum uptake of uh, the liver 1.5 1.5 times liver plus two uh, standard deviations. This is to allow sufficient margin for decrease so that you can assess response. If there's almost no uptake in the lesion at the beginning, you cannot assess response with FDG. That's why we have this criterion in the persist criterion, and also the target lesion is defined. We look at the lesion with the highest peak, the lesion with the highest uptake on your baseline and on your uh, second or third scan, uh, and there are some uh, guidance on how to make the ROIs, and we use the peak, with it, which I previously uh, defined. So as I mentioned, updates are done, and this is a 2016 update, where, for instance, another of other metrics that can be considered are uh, presented. Now, these two different response criteria have been compared in colorectal uh, cancer patients treated with irinotecan uh, uh, and cetuximab. This is a Danish series, and you see that actually... Most of the patients, 87%, are in the same category regardless if they are uh, used with the ERTC or the persist criteria. And not surprisingly, if you look at the the curves for overall survival, patients that do derive a partial metabolic response, which are on blue, have the same uh, outcome regardless if it's by persist or ERTC criteria, in full or in dashed, and this is uh, strongly different than patients that only have stable metabolic disease or uh, progressive metabolic disease. But the authors conclude in this paper. We get the same results, we get the same inter-user um, uh, uh, coefficients, but if you look At uh, Persist, it's more unambiguous because it's much better defined and it's more straightforward to use. So this is something which is really ready for uh, prime time and for clinical trials. This is another example of recent use of the ERTC criteria in pancreatic cancer patients treated with NAP-paclitaxel, and you see that patients that do have a complete metabolic response uh, have a better um, outcome than patients that only have a partial metabolic response, and so this is based on prospectively defined response uh, criteria. But we can do more with PET than just look at the maximum uh, uptake within a tumor. And one area that has become very uh, hot topic in our field is the metabolic total tumor burden, and which is quantified by two different parameters, either the metabolic tumor volume, MTV, or total lesion glycolysis TLG. And MTV is actually the entire volume that has increased FDG uptake within your patient. The unit is milliliters. And total lesion glycolysis is actually the total amount of FDG that is fixed inside of your tumor. Um, And the formula is quite easy. It's your volume multiplied by the SUV mean. And um, this is an example of a patient. uh, It's a colorectal patient with a lot of liver metastases. The patient also has bone metastases. We can quantify, we can segment these uh, lesions, and we can now provide you the metrics uh, on the the average uptake that we have, but also on the volume and the um, uh, uh, the total glucose fixed within the tumors. And if you correlate the amount of uptake with the volumetric patri- uh, volumetric metrics you get uh, very poor correlation, so this is getting you new information information which is not reflected by the total uptake. This uh, metric is very reproducible these are uh, intra and inter-observer uh, reproducibility data and the values are 0.999 and uh, more than 0.975 so it it's, it can be reproduced and you see that you have a wide range and i'd like to s- uh, show here that the suv max if you go from the lowest to the highest value 1.2 to 25 you have a, a range of 21 if you look at the tumor volume in these patients, uh, 105 uh, patients that were quantified, you go from 1 to 283. That's 283 uh, range. And the total lesion glycolysis goes from 1.5 to more than 3,000, and so we have a range of more than 2,000. So, so we have a large dynamic range, and so your patient has a lot of possibilities uh, in which he can uh, come. Now. MTV can be used to look at response. Here we see a patient which is responding on MTV. Everything is gone, so the MTV goes from uh, 270 to zero. And this is a non-responder. You go from 550 cubic centimeters to an increase. There are new lesions appearing, and these are all captured by this uh, metric. MTV has a lot of prognostic significance. We see here one of the first fields to pick this up were the lymphoma fields. You see here patients on the left with a low MTV, on the right with a high MTV. And um, I will skip this slide. But you see that the uh, prognosis, uh, both for PFS and OS, is much better if you have a low uh, metabolic tumor uh, volume. This has been seen in lymphoma, has been replicated, has been also shown in myeloma. Here you see uh, three categories based on the MTV and also in non-small cell lung cancer. And I'd like to end by showing you some examples in gastrointestinal oncology. This is uh, a study where they looked at gastric cancer. And here, if you look at Delta SUV max of at least 50% combined with CT, which is the solid line compared to patients that are non-responder, or you look at Delta TLG, there's not a lot of difference. You actually, the hazard ratios are comparable. So here, TLG does not add in these patients uh, treated with gastric cancer. Uh, This is another series with gastric cancer. If you look at the uh, hazard ratios, you see that for a PFS and OS, the hazard ratios based on the delta TLG is actually better than the ones derived on the SUV max. Here you see that MTV Uh, is showing a better separation of the curves, although slightly, than SUVMAX, but they are certainly better than the separation of the curves shown by RESIST in colorectal cancer patients treated with uh, cert. And uh, these are patients uh, uh, treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, 102 patients with esophageal cancer, where the change in MTV has been used, has been dichotomized, uh, according to a reduction of more than 60% versus not, and you see that the patients that have a reduction of more than 60%, the blue line, have a much better outcome uh, than uh, in PFS than patients that don't have this reduction. And the authors were also able to separate this in three subgroups uh, based uh, on 80 and 60% as cutoff values for the reduction. Um, This uh, is another series in esophageal cancer where you see that the only significant factor in a multivariate analysis was uh, with a hazard ratio of 2.8 was reduction in MTV. And SUV max parameters were not uh, significant. Uh, Similar data in rectal cancer, 91 patients, 2018. You see that SUV max can discriminate after therapy, can discriminate between patients with good or bad relapse-free survival, but TLG has a better separation of the curves, and overall survival was not significant for SUV max, but it was for uh, TLG. Uh, And I'm going to skip this slide. This is another series, a little bit order in rectal cancer, where again, you see that the delta in TLG shows you the overall survival. Uh, and so, with this, I would like to end with my take home messages. So, PET allows quantitative whole body imaging of a uh, variety of tracers, but until now I've only talked about FDG because the glucose metabolism is still our prime target for response imaging in um, radiation, chemo, and targeted therapies. Metabolic changes occur earlier than morphological changes. And we have predefined PET response criteria, which are the ERTC and the persist criteria that I did explain. And uh, last but not least, volumetric whole body uh, total tumor burden parameters are complementary complementary or can uh, outperform avidity parameters. And these are the uh, MTV and uh, TLG. And these actually allow a total whole body tumor burden that can be determined at each scan, and I think this is certainly something to be explored in the future. Thank you very much for your attention. If there are any questions, I will maybe take them after,